Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now and we're lowering the floor. The band is blistered, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, you say three, four. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the Whiskey Topic. It's Mark Bylock, and this is episode 141. And we're going to have Rob Cobble coming on in a few minutes uh, talking about uh, the Teeling Distillery, uh, which, I, you know, we've done a lot of Irish whiskey of late, and it hasn't been by design, but I think because uh, there's so much Irish whiskey coming out in the next while, and uh, there, there's just been a lot more media attention around it. So I'll, t- I'll enjoy this a lot. Like, uh, Teeling Distillery is a fun place where they do a bunch of different things. They do blended uh, whiskeys, they do a pot still traditional and single malt. So they do a lot of different things. Uh, they also produce what I would consider weird whiskeys which are the fun whiskeys the whiskeys that don't fit a specific mold and and really they think out of the box when making whiskey so i uh, hope you do enjoy that before we get to the interview though i do want to thank people that have joined uh, us and supported us, uh, us as patrons on patreon.com uh you know it's it's actually been really fun to do uh exclusive content for patreon we've done exclusive podcast interviews uh just you know extras with uh with people we've had on the podcast and also i post a lot of po- a lot of content there just exclusively for patrons um the things that i wouldn't normally post on you know whiskey buzz or talk about in the podcast uh for no other reason than you know there's there just gets a little more insider baseball. So if you do want to join in on that, please do. It's patreon.com. You can search for Whiskey Buzz or the Whiskey Topic, or you can just click the link in the show notes. Um, And there's uh, various levels of support between $5 and up. And and really that's just helps me produce the podcast, helps me continue to uh, invest into the podcast and helps uh, pay for the expenses of the podcast from that that we've incurred over the last several years. So hopefully you'll join me there uh, for some exclusive content and help support the podcast that way if you can. If you can't, it's, uh, you know, uh, please do, uh, if you can rate us on iTunes, on Google Play, we're on now on Spotify, you can just rate the podcast there and spread the word. That is also incredibly helpful because uh, without that kind of without that kind of attention, uh, we won't climb up the rate rankings on iTunes and uh, other ranking websites. So if you can't contribute, that's just fine, but please do uh, write a review. Um, and of course, it's the holiday season and I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be the holiday season without me plugging my book, The Whiskey Cabinet. Uh, it is uh, available on amazon.ca.com and most stores uh, do pick it up. It's, um, it is an introduction book to whiskey. So if you, know, if, you're, if you know all about whiskey from all around the world, this is not a book for you. It's a great gift idea for friends that are getting into whiskey. But if you know a lot about bourbon, but maybe don't know a lot about single malt scotch or vice versa, uh, it's a great book to get into and kind of understand the, the the provenance or how the whiskey evolved the way it did. So those are my plugs for, uh, for the day. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast uh, with Rob Caldwell. Uh, we're going to have a very fun podcast coming up this very week in a couple more days uh, that I'm looking forward to uh, to sharing with you. And then we're going to have our holiday episode coming out on around the 24th of December. So that's how the next couple of weeks are going to shape out. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you later. Whiskey, whiskey. Welcome to the Whiskey Topic. It's Mark Bylock, and we're here somewhere in Toronto, West Lodge, at a restaurant, and we've just finished uh, Teeling Whiskey Tasting with Rob Caldwell, the global brand ambassador for Teeling Whiskey. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mark. Hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, no, thank, thank you for coming here. We had a really terrific tasting, and we'll go through some of the whiskeys uh, here that you've had. But um, Teeling is, uh, is an interesting product for me. I'll, I'll give you my perspective. It's uh, You're really moving it way outside kind of that traditional Irish whiskey category. Uh, by that, I mean not the pot stills, not that this. You're kind of going over beyond kind of what you would consider the Jamesons and the Redbreasts of the world. Yeah, I mean, I've once asked Jack Teeling and Stephen Teeling and, and also Alex Chasco, you know, what is the core identity of, of Teeling? Is there a DNA? You know, some whiskey companies, they have that DNA. They don't want to venture too far from. Yes, they have their kind of cognac or, or weird esoteric wine finished whiskey, but they don't want to deviate too far from what makes them 
that product, yeah. as it were. Whereas our DNA is very much about innovation. You know, there's a lot of different products out there, some remarkably different from one another. Uh, super innovative. Uh, we don't expect everyone to like all of them. Like, for example, you got to try the barley wine finished yeah. uh, Irish whiskey here today. Very, very hoppy and fruit forward. Probably very different to, say, the traditional flavors of the port uh, cast that's happening to sit right next to us in front of us here. Uh, very, very different. But yeah, that port cast, a lot more of the traditional flavors, whereas that barley wine, something very new and probably very, very, uh, uh, I guess, underutilized so far anyway. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had, I guess, seven whiskeys today. Uh, it's a, it is such a broad perspective, kind of more traditional Irish whiskey to less. Um, but tell us, um, tell us about the the Teeling family. So, uh, assume uh, assume kind of the audience doesn't know too much about Teeling whiskey. Um, where does the Teeling family come through in the whiskey world? Where's what's kind of the history and what brought us to this distillery here? Yeah, I think it's definitely important to mention. You know, Teeling Whiskey Company. This brand has been around since 2012, established in 2012 by Jack Teeling. Uh, but the, the immediate family is actually, it has roots back, you know, as far as 1782, where there was a historical link right back to then. But the, me, the immediate family, uh, Jack and Stephen's father, the owners of this company, their father, John Teeling, is pretty much the godfather of Irish whiskey, coming back to Ireland at a time where it was kind of dominated by one, two brands. Uh, he came back to Ireland in the 1980s and reopened or opened the Kilbegan distillery. Uh, sorry, the, the Cooley distillery, and then reopened the Kimbegan distillery later at a later date. And he was doing kind of, he was making whiskies that kind of bucked the trend around what Irish whiskey had become. He was making double distilled malts and Ireland's Smoky. first modern, yeah, yeah Ireland's yeah. first modern peated single malt in Connemara. You're doing a lot of weird and wonderful things. And you know, eventually those distilleries were bought uh, by Beam Suntory back in 2011. But I think it's important to remember that the Teeling family, Jack and Stephen, both working uh, for that company have had experience in the whiskey industry for their whole lives, you know, literally growing up around the Irish whiskey industry and have a vested interest in the growth of the category. Mm -hmm. uh, this just happens to be established in 2012, the first brand that they've worked on that has and bears their name. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so they, so at the, with the sale to Jim Beam, not Beam Centauri, yep. uh, a few tens of millions of dollars over a hundred something or another but on top of that there was like 16,000 16, or so barrels of whiskey yeah I mean the Teeling family kind of split among themselves yeah well I so said that was the thing in the in the sale you know Beam and, and Jack Teeling worked out this deal Jack was very interested to stay in the whiskey industry and saw the value in in purchasing you know tens of thousands of barrels and maturing family stock and moving them a mile down the road and then they began the arduous search of you know what to release first you know as, as you know you kind of need to assess what you have and where you have it and then came the arduous search of finding locating and building a new distillery to continue building that brand there's no point building a whiskey brand with a finite amount of stock yeah. you know they had plenty but you know you, you need you want to keep going into the future and if you want to talk about the revival of the category you need to build a distillery so jack and stephen searched and searched found the perfect location but then you know it's heart of dublin city center the first new distillery in dublin uh, in 125 years, an urban distillery, so jumping through the modern planning permission to get a distillery built where a million people live was tough, but finally broke ground in 2015, uh, we're making the first whiskey to come out of Dublin in almost 50 years now. So we broke wow. the world record for the most ever spent on a new distillery's whiskey. That's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, and you were, you were earlier saying there's a couple of issues with Dublin specifically, mm -hmm. uh, getting Getting anything in and out of Dublin, uh, maybe a little harder. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you've ever driven in Dublin or even walked around Dublin, you know, the the infrastructure is, is quite old. You know, there's not four-lane highways in Dublin city centre. It's cobblestone streets. 
So getting your raw materials to make the whiskey on the cobblestone streets in tankers to the distillery at 6 a.m. is quite a tough ask. And then at the end of the week, shipping out uh, the liters of pure alcohol, again, in shipping containers up to our maturation facility in Greenor. Again, you know, we don't have access to farmland in Dublin City Centre and an urban distillery. We don't have maturation facilities. You can't mature in the, the Dublin City Centre, so we need to ship that out. So there's costs associated, but it was far more important to return to the rich distilling city of Dublin uh, than it was, you know, have it, that visitor centre experience where, you know, 10 minutes walk from anywhere in the city where everyone can come and see every stage of the whiskey making process. And you were saying for Dublin specifically, booze is 80% of tourism between <laughs> maybe 90, sorry. I, I don't mean to misspeak for you. Well, I mean, yeah. No, no, but I mean, between the Guinness factory and, and the, the Jamie, like the, the. There is, yeah, to be honest, there is a, lo- a lot of alcohol related tourism in Dublin, uh, but they are phenomenal experiences. So you do have the Teeling Distillery and, and your Guinness storehouses and your Whiskey Museum and the Brazen Head, you know, one of the oldest pubs in the world. And yeah, there's a lot of visitors and experiences, a lot of kind of. Uh, attractions that can bring a lot of the tourists across so we're just trying to give them a great experience and a different experience you know for a long period of time we were the only working distillery in dublin so right. you could go to the jemison uh you know storehouse and see uh a bit of a museum experience it's great don't get me wrong but i mean they weren't making whiskey they don't make whiskey there it was a, a bit more of a museum experience whereas our uh distillery experience is a warts and all experience of seeing every stage of the whiskey making process right you know the, through the good and the bad you know you see the guys making so you see it flowing through distillery but you also see the lads rushing to get things fixed and and you know with their you know grease all over them trying to fix a, a still uh you know that's a, it is a warts and all experience not a pseudo experience at all I, I'll, I'll um, kind of bring it into um, context with what you do, uh, like maybe more t- towards um, you. You do purchase, uh, so you bar- bar- purchase calm distilled corn. It's because your distillery just started in 2015, and you've got right. some older products. So some of the products come from old barrels that you've you've taken from the from the original um, yeah, some Cooley Distillery, I, I, or I guess both. So some of our uh, yeah, yeah older stock is from maturing family stock. And so they purchased the- whiskey secondhand as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, family stock that we've kind of drawn on to, to build some of the brands, but it's really about integrating the spirit of Dublin now. You know, right. it's we've got the single pot still that's launching first globally produced single pot still. It isn't owned by, you know, uh, Perno Ricard, uh, followed closely by Kilbegan. It's going to be a very gro- a, a, a emerging category, and we need to yeah. kind of step out in front of that and remind people, you know, it's not just clones of the market-leading single pot stills. But not only the single pot still, you know, we're hopefully going to release single malts from Dublin. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe next year you'll see a, a peated single malt from Dublin and, and a, a few other things from the Dublin distillery, from Newmarket distillery, from the Teeling Whiskey distillery. So we want to start integrating Dublin whiskey into our portfolio. So we're just going to make sure we do that correctly. And, and so the pot still I had is 100% from your distillery. Yep, yep. Uh, and and you, were, you were saying this in the tasting. The, the tasting notes are, are, are completely different than what you get. You kind of get a, um, I, I mean, I think this kind of overripe and fruity kind of mentioned that kind of note from the uh, malt. But it, it has this just nice little, just a little bit of funkiness to it, but the, the oak cans come through really nicely. Uh, but it is an interesting, it, it's a veering away from kind of what you would consider traditional Irish yeah. whiskey. But there's no such thing as traditional Irish whiskey. There's really just one Two distilleries between Bushmills and, and Middleton, oh, wait, there's two what? distilleries, and that's it. Now well, that's the thing. Like, it's yeah. single pot still, very underutilized category. You really only got like the market leaders your Red Breast, your Green Spot, Powers John's Lane, all owned by Puno Ricard. 
you know, 12 years and older and very hairy, heavily Sherry influenced. And, you know, we're not trying to be those. Why would we ever kind of copy in, in those footsteps? Like a great kind of question I, I love to pose is, you know, you don't compare Ardbeg to Ockentosh and just because they both say single malt. But that's the problem with single pot still right now. It is an emerging category. There's still a lot of education to be done. But there are, uh, you know, certain traditional flavor palettes of pure pot still, which is the precursor to single pot still, that you want to stay true to. You know, yeah. unmalted barley has that kind of astringent green spice to it and that oily-like mouthfeel that you want to stay true to. But also, historically, I think that product would have been... It probably wouldn't be appeal as much to today's consumer that are a little bit more attuned to sh- sweeter things in, in life. So in, in terms of trying to stay true to the past is everything we do, but also leading the category forward, we bring out a little bit of that sweetness naturally through virgin American oak casks. Yeah. So the, the single pot still hopefully released here next year. Uh, you'll see a little bit of that spice, you know, staying true to character of single pot still but also appealing to a modern consumer with a little bit of natural sweetness, toffee, butterscotch coming from those vanilla uh, and vanillins from charred American oak casks, ex-bourbon casks, and then a little bit of the sherry uh, notes from sherry casks. Um, with all the variety you have, do you consider, uh, what would you consider standard tealing flavor profile? Do you see some common elements? Not, no. I, I mean, like, so our trinity, so the, the, the kind of main range you see in, in most countries, it's our best foot forward at an approachable price point in each of the categories of Irish whiskey. That's kind of really reminding people, yeah, we, we do make single malt. Single malt, Irish single malt tends to be a little bit more fruit forward. Mm-hmm. You know, Irish peoples tend to like that orchard fruits and fruitiness coming from their Irish whiskey and their single malts, as opposed to, say, your iodine, your smokiness of Isla scotches. So Irish single malts tend to be akin to that of like a lowland single malt but reminding people that yes we do make single malts and they're different and then yeah. single grain a very underutilized category bearing resemblances to american whiskies our yeah. single grain 95 percent column distilled corn yeah. aged in red wine barrels again very different from the single malt to its side and then our flagship product our tilling small batch you know bearing a, a premium version of those flavors that people associate with irish whiskey you know long period of time uh, those market-leading blends are more similar than they were different. You don't want to veer too far away from that because your average consumer, when they're reaching up to the counter for Irish whiskey, they, in their head they have an idea. So yeah, with yeah. everything behind that product, it was kind of trying to create a blended Irish whiskey with an, a, a unique, unique profile, uh, a unique voice at a premium price point and trying to be that next step in their Irish whiskey evolution. So I, yeah. the, the kind of core range represents three of the four categories of Irish whiskey, followed soon by the single pot still rounding out the four. And I like kind of what you said too. Is like uh, from the very beginning, um, is it uh, which one are we working on the on the fourth batch? That would be your uh, single. The, the pots. The, the pots still went through a few batches yeah. in Ireland, so we ba- we basically invited people. Yeah. yeah, in yeah. Ireland, yeah, we didn't go broad with it because you couldn't if you can't get out in front of people and tell the story that you know this is just a chapter in a story. Yeah, you know, batch one, batch two. We were inviting people along for the ride along with the journey to see the evolution you know it was never batch one batch two batch three never going to be a finished product think of yeah. them as chapters in a story that will never be told again yeah. inviting people in you know knee-jerk responses it needs more time in cask so our question to them is cool yes of course but what cast what cast best exemplifies this mash bill that no one's used in 50 years or very few people have used in 50 years we want to exemplify the mash bill stay true to that but also create something uniquely tealing 
Yeah. So we went through a few batches to decipher what we were, what we were going for, and, and we're very happy now with our final uh, commercial release moving forward. Nice, and that's that's like a, like the statement. It's the final batch. This is the kind of final ratio of oak and, yeah, and what you're looking at, and you're going to keep trying to keep exactly like all our whiskies. You know, they're they're done in small batches. It forces us to re reimagine our whiskies and re re blend our whiskies. We get better at making whiskies. So yeah, that kind of ratio recipe will stay the same. We get better at balancing it out, and we get better at making the whiskies, and and hopefully, you know, that that category broadens, and and maybe we'll have another single pot still in a few years' time. Uh, one of the things I I think becomes very noticeable is um, your 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 bigger play on on oak, but not just but just from where kind of the, the the on the spice or the zest or the the kind of pepperiness of the of the um, flavor profile. So if you were to, if you were to compare to you know kind of your average. Um, whiskey for Middleton at any price point mm -hmm. uh, you know they tend to be a little sweeter and a little I would say I would use the word silkier if that makes sense smoother uh, whereas these whiskeys are a little more character driven which I think is appears to more modern palate like it has that kind of little little bit of bite to it in, in that for me very pleasant way um, where I'm drinking this I'm like okay I, I get the kind of I get the, the play on the oak you get a lot of complexity um, there was one uh, you poured that I, I remember just making but you didn't, you didn't explain the whiskey before I um, started making notes on it and I was getting <laughs> a million notes and then that's the one you said like you would do um, you would do like a blind tasting so the same whiskey oh, yes, three yeah. different times and you would get like a plethora of, of notes and I could totally see it because there's a million different things in there and you kind of get this and the more you sip then you go okay the more you know the more you know the more you know you get all these when you sip it it kind of it comes together but you can <laughs> literally sit with that glass well, for, yeah, so for 20 minutes and you so that's our so uh, that's our single malt so that's yeah. the part of the trinity there it's our, yeah. it's our, our entry level single malt it's, and we do have age saving single malts but this is the uh, the core single malt and yeah, it, I mean, we do a lot of innovation, you know, up to 100 different casts in the maturation whiskey. Yes, we're working with mash bills and we've done experiments in the past with fermentation. It's all, and we've done uh, different experiments with different wood types, which is, you know, some, another thing, another conversation entirely. But all of that innovation doesn't mean that much unless you can bring it back together in an award-winning finished product. Mm -hmm. And that is probably the best example of that is that Teeling single malt. Uh, you know, it's a non-age statement single malt. The, the whiskey inside can be anywhere from nine to 23 years old. But the flavor balance that, you know, all those different flavors working in harmony is what we're really going for. That's five different wine-influenced right. uh, whiskeys. So you've got Port, Madeira, uh, Sherry, Cabernet Sauvignon and white burgundy. It's a lot of those different flavors playing off one another. And yeah, like you said, you know, sometimes I have those sleep masks and when I have, you know, media come into the distillery, I like to put the sleep mask on and say, try these three different whiskeys and explain to me how it's different. And, you know, every time you, you take a sip, it's, you're going to get a different experience, you know, yeah. you smell and you on the nose, you get a little bit more vibrancy and brightness, lemongrass and citrus. And then you taste a little bit more stone fruits come out and, mm -hmm. and then you go back to the nose and gone are those like light flavors at the start because you've now got it on your palate. Uh, replaced by leather, tobacco, dark chocolate, especially. Uh, so yeah, we're taking the blindfold off and showing them one whiskey there is a, kind of the best way to kind of showcase what is going on uh, in this whiskey, and it's a very complex, fruit-forward single malt. Yeah, that that that's wonderful, and um, I would say so. I, I like I like always putting things into kind of like the, the the rare releases or like in in the bourbon world, uh, the the Buffalo Trace antique collections and and that kind of thing. You you have that range as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to, what's, okay, here, you pronounce this, because I'm going to get it wrong. The, uh, uh, yeah, so this is available in, in Canada now. It's, a, it's also, we've got two of them in Ireland. So Brabazon 1. 
So the Brabazon family were the Earls of Meath, so they were kind of gifted plots of lands to look after uh, the Liberties area of Dublin, outside the walls of the city castle, which was pre- predominantly English. So outside the walls was kind of the dirty area of the city, your tanneries, your coopers, your blacksmiths, your breweries, your distilleries. Uh, the Brabazon family kind of controlled the, the, the area of land that is Newmarket Square and where uh, Teeling HQ is. So Teeling HQ is located in the Brabazon house. Okay. So it's a kind of like tip of the cap again to the past while also kind of moving forward in the future. So the Brabazon releases, you know, yes, we have uh, your barley wine finished uh, whiskies and your uh, Pinot de Chiron or Muscat or Sauterne finished Irish whiskies, but the Brabazon releases are a little bit more of your traditional flavors, an hour version of those traditional flavors. So Brabazon 1 was... Sherry. Yeah. So fully matured sherries, three different ages of Oloroso, two of PX and one of uh, a sherry hogshead. Wow. And this Brabazon 2 that you tried today is three different ages of ruby port, two different ages of white port and one of tawny port, all fully matured yeah. in a single malt. So, th- you know, really exploring those traditional flavors, but in a uniquely tealing way. It, it, it's absolutely crazy. And then the other one we tasted was a 15-year-old. Uh, 14, yeah. 14 so year old this wine. Is, yeah, luckily, this is just a gift. So this is not available in Canada. This was brought in by Chris, who organized this tasting for us. And uh, secondary he, marketing, he said it was... Anyway, I can't even... I can't <laughs> yeah, even, it's, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's very, very it's, hard to find nowadays. We did a revival collection, so single malts influenced by... Uh, the first one was a fully matured rum at 15 years old. Number two was Calvados finished. Number yeah. three, this one you tried, is a Pinot de Chiron. Uh, number four was Muscat or Muscatel, and number five was a brandy and cognac finished uh, right. single malt. So, yeah, we did a, a series of five called the Revival Series, and hopefully we, you know, they'll be very successful. They're, most of them were limited to about 10,000 bottles, very uh, successful in their own right for both drinking and collecting. But, yeah, you're right. They, on the secondary market, they're increasing in value. Uh, and we hope to kind of tradition, uh, transition sorry, uh, the Revival Series into a new series maybe next year. We've got something on the horizon that's... Uh, has relationship to the revival series, but it's something new entirely. I mean, I think people really do get excited about um, about those weird one-off releases, the five to ten thousand bottle. I mean, yeah, that's that's the thing. There's always been those in the whiskey industry, single casks and the like. You know, your rarer releases. They're kind of like the presence for those kind of accounts or uh, mm-hmm. retailers or uh, bar groups or something that have been very strong for the brand and done a lot for the brand. You kind of give them, you know, their unique release or something like that, single casks. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there's, a, there's a bit of work that involved with the single casks. And, you know, once it's done, once you empty that cask out across the bottles, that's it. Let's, it's gone. And, uh, and you're kind of taking the, you know, you've got a, a brilliantly skilled blender in Alex Chasco, our master distiller and master blender. Uh, and you're not utilizing one of his, you know, great skills by the single cask. You're kind of just emptying out the cask into however many bottles there are. And then it's off it's gone and then never to be seen again. Yeah. Whereas kind of utilizing Alex's skill and... And creating a, a you know a specific product blended to a, a certain market like uh, some of our products like the the barley wine or you know in Germany we did something similar like that instead of influenced by barley wine it was influenced by German Riesling yeah so we kind of marketed approach where we you know, looked at the market look what was popular as how we can build the brand and it was so successful I think it was sold out in a matter of weeks yeah I mean right so some of the the barley wine uh, beer cast uh, was. Um, just such a funky tropical new note. Uh, it tasted a little bit to me like homemade wine on the nose. Sorry, on the nose it was like a little like, kind of oh, it's like very boozy homemade white wine. With but then you get it, and you get like a poppy. I actually, one of the people here invented the best one, like a Pinot Grigio kind of stone fruity. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah. Well, so this is part of it. Like there's, there's three different Galway Bay collaborations we've done. So we worked with a uh, Irish beer producer called Galway Bay Brewing. And we shipped over a bunch of our casks to them, and they aged three different beers in our casks and then shipped the casks back to us. So mm. 
The first one we did was a stout cask influenced teeling. Uh, we've done two batches of that now. The fir- uh, the, it won um, Best Limited Edition Irish Blend at the World Whiskey Awards. So Stout's mm-hmm. done very well for us. This is the second and the third collaboration that you guys are getting here in Canada. So barley wine, got a high barley content, so high ABV. The barley wine, it's a beer made from barley. And the wine aspect is that the ABV is similar to that of wine. So your ABV right. of the beer is like your 12 13%. So that's where the name comes from. Right. But think of it like an IPA, nice hoppy, because you have to balance that high ABV out with like the natural preservatives or gruits of, of hops. So yeah, very, very hoppy kind of style of beer. So yeah, it has this lovely finish, makes a great boilermaker or beer pairing with a hoppy ale or even a wheat beer or something like that um, and has that hoppy element to it. Whereas the third, the strong ale, which you guys are getting, more of your kind of uh, red ales, Scottish kind of uh, ales, a bit more mead, honey notes, a lot less hops. I, I think the, the thing, it's, it's interesting because... Um, when you take beer, like beer and whiskey have now been paired by a bunch of different companies and um, it's, interesting, it's an interesting battle, battle because you don't want it to be too gimmicky or too beer forward. Oh, of course. And then you also don't want it to be not that much. So a lot of the ones I've tasted like, oh, I can kind of get this came from a sour ale. I can kind of get this. This is a little bit, this is very beer heavy, but it all, it all, it all works. And it kind of comes down, I think, to the kind of the ABV, I think, is a big part of it because you're kind of upping up the flavors. You're cutting out some of the sweetness that you normally get with a beer. Same with the hop. You, you said it, I think, you described the best. as You were like, it tastes like a hop-flavored whiskey. Like, <laughs> but... In in all the right ways, it has oh, definitely, a, it, yeah. like it's it's not because th- we we've had some hop flavored whiskey here and there where it was actually and I was like I don't know it's not really me but but that had that because the ABV is higher it just kind of cuts through a lot of the the notes that you would normally associate with beer so you kind of get that moment of beer and then you kind of forget it's beer and you're just, you're drinking whiskey hmm. and it's it's a little funky and weird uh, and a great example of what other directions you're going through so you've got your kind of call the Trinity the, the three which are more regular yep. style tealings. Um, but then you get into this other stuff if you're, you know, in, at markets where they have them, whether it's, you know, Ireland or um, it, it's uh, it's they're really wonderful buys and really just tasty, unique pours of whiskey. Well, yeah, thank you. I mean, you were tr- trying to be different, trying to push the category out a little bit, you know, uh, by leading with flavor and trying to find these new flavors. You know, when we start to work with, say, specialty malts or yeast strains and you start to explore those flavors out, you know, we like to think that we, we're creating all these unique, interesting cast types or cast finishes but also taking a learning as well. So when we're moving into the future and say you do a crystal rye uh, distillate and you pull it off the still and you're like, oh, that's really nice, but you know what it could really benefit from? Those mead flavors of the strong ale mm-hmm. that we got from Galway Bay. You know, keeping those in mind. So not only are we creating uniquely interesting products, but we're learning what to happen, you know, what we could take for the future of the category uh, as well. Yeah, actually, I don't know if it's been mentioned on the podcast. Explain to us... Uh Crystal rise or crystal barleys? What, is, what does that mean? Yeah, of course. So the, I guess it goes back to the difference between Irish and Scottish uh, or even peated and unpeated whiskey. You know, you're, you, when you're malting unmalted barley or when you're malting spring barley, whatever it is, when you're malting barley, you're tricking it into germination. So you're submerging in water and you're tricking that life cycle in the soil to break down the husk and release more starches and f- fermentable sugars. But you need to stop that process. So more often than not, it's with hot air whether that's fed by peat smoke, and that's where the introduction of peats comes from, or hot air from ovens in, in Ireland. But another thing you can do is raise the temperature of the water and stew the sugars. So you're stopping that germination process, but you're thus crystallizing those fermentable sugars. So think of it like the difference between, say, icing sugar and rock candy. 
Okay. So nice. it, it's, it falls into the specialty malts category. And, and Alex, like you you started talking about before, I was going to jump in, but the, with the beer collaborations and this, they kind of work pair and pair. Like Alex grew up in Portland, Oregon, and was a brewer before a distiller. So right. after moving to Edinburgh and doing his uh, you know, MSc and, and distilling at Harriet Watt, you know, he had interest in being a brewer. So bringing that kind of same level of exploration that happened in the craft beer explosion in Portland, he's trying to bring that nice. level of exploration to whiskey and Irish whiskey in general. So hopefully, and, and like, yeah, some people can say it's a fad, but seeing that the Scotch Whiskey Association has opened up the uh, level in which they can use season cast to agave spirits and cognac spirits and stuff like that shows that it's not just a fad and it really is going to open whiskey on a global scale. Um, we just uh, want to stay ahead of that trend. Sure. I mean, all the whiskeys I've tasted are so well crafted uh, with so much thought. I, I don't think uh, I, they're definitely thinking whiskey. Like, they're not like crafted based on marketing. Oh, let's do this and this. And, <laughs> and, and, and these are all very well thought out, very nicely layered whiskeys. Of well, I won't take, yeah, I won't take the credit for that. That's very much down to Jack and Steven and Alex uh, that they, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to kind of hit Alex right before he goes into one of the tasting meetings. You know, mm-hmm. it literally comes down to Alex going to Jack and Steven's office and tasting a bunch of whiskeys. And they, you know, Jack is the final one to sign. You can see his name on the bottle there. He's the one that signs off on a whiskey before it hits market. You know, he's still very active in the whiskey making process. Uh, but it, yeah, it definitely makes my job that much easier. I don't, I don't have to get up and you know do a big marketing spiel. I can say, look, this is Teeling. This is why we're different. Please taste the whiskeys and let the whiskey speak for itself. Oh, lovely night. Nice to know, Rob. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, my Instagram handle is nameless. So N-A-E-M-L-E-S-S. Okay. Yeah. Not about me. It's about the brand. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. Well, follow Nameless. Yeah. <laughs> thanks Cheers. So thanks much for, for your coming time. to the podcast. Um, and thank you for coming here to Toronto. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.